Hey, so our, our teams are awesome, and they can lead us in worship and then turn around and do something like that. Um, uh, the, the woman singing, her name is Donnell. She's one of our friends who lives out in Minnesota for some reason. I don't know why anyone lives in Minnesota, but uh, she does. <laughs> About 10 other people I've heard. Um, anyway, she just flies out to hang out with us and sing with us every now and then. And so give it up for the band and Donnell. <clears throat> Hey, so before we get started, um, some of you know this, some of you don't, but last weekend I was teaching here. Uh, my youngest daughter, Chloe, got super sh sick. She, she had a virus. The doctors still don't really know what the virus was or, or how it affected her so quickly this way, but she had a virus that dehydrated her so badly and rapidly that by Sunday morning she had become delirious and eventually unresponsive, which is terrifying as a, a parent. I got that phone call from my wife, Allie, in between teaching the nine and getting ready to teach the 11 o'clock service. And so I left to go be with Chloe. Um, quick, like to catch you up to speed, urgent care sent Chloe by ambulance to the children's hospital in Anschutz. They pumped her full of fluids and monitored her vitals for a little over 24 hours. And we were able to bring her home on Monday afternoon. She's back to being sweet, beautiful, ornery <laughs> Chloe. So there she is. Your kids are not cuter than that. I, you think they are. But objectively, I'm sorry, they're not. Um, but hey, before we even get started, I, I just wanna say thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you we, to our, like, we have incredible worship and production staff and mostly volunteers. It's mostly volunteers who run this place. Um, and, and last weekend, in between services, when I said I was gonna go, they didn't skip a beat. They got my teaching from the nine o'clock service and played it on video at the 11. I never once felt like I had inconvenienced them or annoyed them. And so thank you if you are a part of that worship or production staff and volunteers. Like, thank you. And then I, I also want to thank you. Thank you for all of your prayers and encouragement. Thank you for the countless texts and emails I got, like just asking how you could help or telling me that you're praying for us. Like I won't be able to respond to all of them. There were so many, but thank you. And thank you for rolling with the punches here uh, at Lafayette at the 11 o'clock service last week and watching me teach on video so that I could go be with my scared, um, sick little daughter. So from my family, from little Chloe and Allie and I, like thank you very, very much. Um, so uh, this weekend, to kind of make up for the fact that a lot of us had to watch last weekend on video, I'm actually going to reteach last weekend's sermon today. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's like thousands of people are like, why did we come here today? Um, I'm kidding, we're gonna move on. Um, this, is, this is week four of our series called If You Know, You Know. Uh, we're studying through First and Second Timothy. These are two letters that you find in the New Testament, both of them written by Paul to his younger friend and protege named Timothy. And these two letters are like, the point of them is to equip and encourage and challenge the next generation. And if you've been here throughout the series, you know we're talking to both the Timothys and the Pauls in the room. So the Timothys are anyone 30 and younger. It's the next generation. And we're trying to figure out what can we learn about leadership and purpose and influence and following Jesus from Paul's words to Timothy. And then for the Pauls in the room, that's anyone 30 years or older, we're trying to figure out what is our responsibility to equip, encourage, and challenge the next generation. And today, even though this talk is really it's applicable to people of all ages. If I'm being honest today, I'm really mostly talking to the Timothys in the room. 
the, the next generation because today is all about not losing hope. And here's why this idea of not losing hope is relevant to the next generation. All right, it's because according to mental health experts, millennials and Gen Z are the most stressed out, depressed, and anxious generation in all of history. Or, or at least in all of history since we started recording stuff like that. We also know that this has especially hit Gen Z really hard. That's anyone born between 1997 and 2012. All right, according to a recent study done by McKinsey and company, Gen Z reports having the least positive outlook on life, including lower levels of emotional and social well-being. During a 12-month uh, study and period spanning from late 2019 to late 2020, Gen Z was two to three times more likely than any other generation to report thinking about, planning, or attempting suicide. And in addition to this, Gen Z is also twice as likely to not seek any help for mental suffering. And if you're a, you know, a part of Gen Z, like none of this surprises you. You're like, well, yeah, that, this is my life. You know, it's like people ask how I'm doing and I just tell them like, I'm good, man, how about you? But just like the song that the band just played, like if we're being honest, we're not being honest. Like we're not doing well. We, we just don't know what to do about it. This decline in mental health, it's become so drastic that on December 7th, 2021, the U.S. Surgeon General declared it an official youth mental health crisis. And some mental health experts are beginning to relabel Generation Z. And instead of calling them Gen Z, they are beginning to call them, brace yourselves, the hopeless generation and I, I, I used to do student ministry here. I, I got to oversee our middle school and high school students. I had the blessing and gift of getting to be a part of launching our, our new young adults ministry. Like I have a tender part in my heart for people in my generation and younger. And that breaks my heart. And when, when they say hopeless, they don't mean that there's no hope for you and you're not gonna amount to anything. Instead, what they mean when they say hopeless is that this generation has lost their hope. Like you don't know what to look forward to anymore. And it's such a big problem and, and no one really knows what to do about it. And so our world and our culture and mental health experts are like grasping at straws for potential solutions to this youth mental health crisis. Like how can we make life better for a suffering generation? And that's a noble cause. We should all be thinking through that and pursuing that. But at the same time, like I talked about last weekend, the world is lying to you. And I see some of these lies in our culture's ideas for how to be happy, hopeful, and mentally healthy. For example, out of total curiosity, while I was studying for, for this talk, I decided to get on Google and simply search how to be happy. I was just curious, what would Google give me? Here are the top three uh, search results that Google gave me. The third most popular was a website that offers advice on diet, sleep rhythms, breathing techniques, exercise regimens, and tips for daily scheduling habits. So basically how to manage your health and schedule in order to achieve happiness and hope. Second most popular was, was a result for a foundation of mental clarity and meditation ran, run by a Buddhist teacher. And then the top result, the number one result of my Google search was a yoga class. And it was offered by a self-proclaimed mystic and visionary yogi whose name is 
and this is the best part because you can't make this stuff up. His name is Sad Guru. I'm serious. It's spelled, it's spelled S-A-D-H-G-U-R-U. Come learn to be happy from Sad Guru, all right? And the, the first page of my Google results was all stuff like this, all these ideas for how to be happy and hopeful in a, in, for a suffering generation. But, but the idea behind all of those solutions, the idea from our culture to you, is that happiness is the goal of your life. And you can achieve it by just changing a few habits, diets, and exercise routines. Or in other words, to dig a layer deeper, because this is where I think the real problem is. Our culture is saying, if you're not happy, and life is not easy and comfortable, then something is wrong with you. Because our culture says that the point of life is to be happy. And so if you're not happy, well then I'm sorry, you must suck at life. And I believe that that is the number one lie from our world to especially our younger generations. It's the lie that hardship and suffering are avoidable. It's this lie that there's this utopian life out there with the right diet and the right exercise. There's like this perfect life out there that's completely free from any and all suffering. And in fact, I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons Gen Z is hopeless is in part because the world keeps telling you the lie that life is supposed to be this easy, comfortable, happy adventure all the time. And that's a really high bar to hit. And so when you have a season of life that is not easy, comfortable, happy, or adventurous, you start to think to yourself, I guess I'm not living my best life. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Or worst of all, you start thinking, maybe something is wrong with me. But the truth is that life is not always easy, comfortable, and happy. And sure, there are days and seasons of that. And when that happens, be thankful for those days and those seasons. But that's not the norm. Honestly, most of the time, life is pretty boring and mundane and routine. All right, you wake up Monday, you get out of bed, you eat breakfast, you pack your backpack or whatever, and you go to, to school or you go to work, and then you come home and you eat dinner and you go to bed and you do the same thing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's just kind of routine and mundane. And then sometimes life is filled with unavoidable hardship and suffering, but that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It's just because life is hard. And because life is hard, that means life takes endurance. And this idea that, that life takes endurance is, is found all over First and Second Timothy, but especially Second Timothy. Right, I want you to remember our context for when Paul wrote Second Timothy to, Tim, to Timothy. Uh, Paul's context is that he's chained to a wall in a prison cell in Rome awaiting his execution. All right, so Paul is writing from a situation that is anything but happy, easy, and comfortable. And then remember, Paul's writing to Timothy, and Timothy's leading this church in Ephesus, and Timothy's like banging his head against a brick wall as he's trying to figure out how to lead this group of people who, like we talked about last weekend, do nothing but fight and argue with each other, and if they're not doing that, they're mocking Timothy for being too young. So remember, Paul is suffering, and Timothy is suffering, but it's from that place that Paul writes this. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to walk through it together. From a place of suffering, Paul says to Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy, 
Timothy is a member of the next generation who's gonna carry on the torch of Christianity long after Paul is beheaded. He tells the next generation the same thing I believe we should be telling the next generation in 2022. He says, hey, Timothy, the goal is not necessarily to avoid hardship. That's not always possible because life is hard. Instead, the goal is to endure hardship just like Jesus did. And then Paul gives us three metaphors for what this kind of endurance looks like. He gives us the metaphor of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And we're gonna walk through these three metaphors together one by one. All right, the first one is the soldier. This is the very next verse. Paul says this. He goes, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, no. Instead, he only wants to please his commanding officer. If you know anything about the military, the soldier's responsibility is to carry out the orders from the commanding officer, and nothing is allowed to get in the way of that. A soldier's not allowed to be like, oh, cool, I'll do that tomorrow. I'm just kind of feeling lazy today. <laughs> He's not, not allowed to do that. And those orders from the commanding officer came from their commanding officer, came from theirs, all the way up until you get the, to the commander-in-chief. And Paul is saying that God is kind of like our commander-in-chief, you gotta trust what he's telling you to do and you gotta follow his orders and seek to please him above everyone else no matter what. All right, next verse, next metaphor. Paul says this, he goes, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And any of us who have played sports, we know that's true. Right? If you're an athlete, there's always rules to the game or the sport that you're involved in, and you can't win if you break the rules. Like, you're disqualified if you cheat. Unless, of course, you're the Houston Astros or the New England Patriots, and it's a whole different sermon. <laughs> you get it, though. Paul says there, there are rules and boundaries to the game of life, and we've got to play by Jesus' rules. Like we talked about last weekend in our homework, some of those rules are to be honest and forgiving and diligent, thoughtful, kind, and empathetic. All right, last metaphor, next verse, Paul says this. He goes, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Farmers work hard. Right, the Foot family comes from a line of farmers, and these are men and women who really know hard work. Like Their hands look different because of how often they work with them, and they walk different because of that back-breaking labor, but they also they work hard for a reason. They work hard because they expect to reap a harvest. They're expecting a reward at the end of all that hard work. To summarize what, what Paul just said to Timothy, he said this. He goes, hey, Timothy, like a soldier, aim to please God in everything you do. Like an athlete, follow God's rules for a fulfilling life. And like a farmer, wake up every single day and put that work in. And all of this goes against the lie from our culture that life is supposed to be easy and comfortable and fun and happy. Because remember, Paul is using these three metaphors, soldier, athlete, and farmer, to drive home what he said in the first verse that we read, back when he told Timothy to endure hardship. Soldier, athlete, farmer, these are three types of people and professions that require endurance, but their endurance is aimed at a hope. In other words, here's what I mean by that. Why else would a soldier endure living in a foxhole, wet, cold, hungry, and tired all the time? Well, it's because they hope to win the war. Why else would an athlete endure all the grueling training that it takes to try to be the best they can be at their individual sport? It was because they hope to win the championship. 
Why do farmers endure the same repetitive backbreaking work every single day of their lives? It's because they hope to reap a harvest. In other words, Paul is not telling Timothy to put up with hardship and put up with suffering just for the heck of it. Instead, like a soldier, athlete, or farmer, Paul is telling Timothy to endure hardship with hope. Paul's saying there's a goal. There is a reward at the end of all this suffering and hardship. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy that when you let Jesus into your suffering, your pain is no longer pointless. Instead, your pain has a point. If becoming more like Jesus is the goal of your life, which it's supposed to be the goal of our lives for any of us who are Christians, then your pain now has a point. It's molding you and shaping you to become more like Jesus who saved the world by suffering for it. And so we can endure hardship with hope. This is the only reason that, that Paul can encourage Timothy at the very beginning of this letter by saying this. Paul says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So don't be ashamed to testify about our God or ashamed by me, his prisoner. But instead, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul says, when life gets hard, which it always does because real life is really hard. Paul says when suffering hits our lives, we don't have to face that hardship in a spirit of fear, meaning with our head hung and our shoulders hunched, just kind of shuffling through life going like, why can't it be better? And am I doing something wrong? And, or is something wrong with me? No, instead, he says, if you lean on Jesus for strength, you can face hardship in the spirit of power and of love and in self-discipline. We can endure hardship with hope. And this theme of enduring hardship that you find in Paul's letters to Timothy, it reminds me of something Jesus said. And it's a verse that I repeat to myself and I've memorized and I think about on a near daily basis because it gives me hope, which is different from makes me happy. It gives me hope. It's in John chapter 16, and it's something that Jesus says to wrap up a long conversation that he's been having with his disciples. And, and the long conversation that he had with his friends, he's destroying the lie that still to this day you will hear in a ton of churches. This conversation he has with his friends, he's destroying the lie that if you just follow Jesus and tithe the right amount of money and say the right kind of prayers and volunteer in kids ministry every single weekend and stop cussing and drinking and smoking, the big three, if you do all that, then Jesus will finally make your life easy, comfortable, happy, and fun. No. Jesus says that's not how it works. In John chapter 16, Jesus says that real life is really hard, and so his followers are gonna have to endure hardship and suffering just as much as someone who doesn't follow Jesus. But then at the end of this conversation, he gives us the one difference between a person who suffers and follows Jesus and a person who suffers and does not follow Jesus. And the difference is where we place our hope. He says this, he goes, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He goes, hey, when life gets hard, it's gonna seem like it, but you're not actually gonna be able to find peace in yoga, meditation, diet, exercise, sleep, or a super expensive daily planner. You're not gonna find peace in that. Instead, you're gonna find peace in me. And then he says this, and this is the verse I think about all of the time. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says that you will have trouble. 
because real life is really hard. But then he says, when life gets hard, you can take heart. And another way of saying take heart is Jesus is going, don't lose hope. Jesus says that with him and only with him, you can face suffering with your shoulders back and your heads held high and you can stand tall and endure hardship with hope. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, no suffering, like no pain is ever pointless. The, the world is telling us that there has to be a way, right? Certainly it's possible that we can live lives without suffering and hardship, but Jesus is telling us the truth. It's a hard truth, but we've gotta listen to it. He's telling us the truth that on this side of eternity, hardship is unavoidable because life is hard. Life is hard for people who don't follow Jesus and life is hard for people who do follow Jesus. But Jesus said that the difference is that people who follow Jesus can take heart. You don't have to lose your hope. Why? Because we follow a God who somehow saved the world through suffering. He's saying that without Jesus, your pain will continue to be pointless. But he's saying with Jesus, pain has a point. So don't lose hope. And even though that sentence on the screen doesn't make us feel warm and fuzzy and happy inside, at the same time, if you're being honest with yourself, deep down inside, like inside your guts, you know it's true. You know there has to be a point to our pain. This is why some of the most amazing people throughout history and the most amazing people you'll ever encounter throughout this life are not the people who have had it easy and comfortable since day one. In times of hardship, you're not reaching out to Jake Paul and Mr. Beast or whatever YouTuber out there for hope. You're just not. Instead, the people who amaze us are the people who have suffered and endured hardship, and they have done it beautifully. These are the kinds of people that we're naturally drawn to. And when you look at these people, you can see Jesus's idea of enduring hardship with hope, this idea of suffering beautifully. You can see it in the lives and the words of the most amazing people to have ever walked this planet. Martin Luther King Jr., the most recognizable face of the civil rights movement, one of the most influential men to have ever lived, a pastor, he said this. He said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And we still talk about that man today because of the way that he endured hardship with hope, even up until the day that that hardship killed him. Desmond Tutu, this is the Bishop of Johannesburg. He, he spent a lifetime tireless, tirelessly stitching South Africa back together after it had been torn apart and destroyed from apartheid. Like This is a man who knew suffering like you and I will hopefully never know suffering. And he said this, he says, suffering is part and parcel of the human condition. You can't avoid it. He goes, but suffering can either embitter or ennoble us, ennoble us, and it can ennoble us and become a spirituality of transformation. It could change your life for the better only when we find meaning in it. Another way of saying that is your pain has a point. I just finished rereading one of my favorite books on how to maintain hope in the midst of, of suffering. It, it's actually just one of my favorite books, period. All right, the book is called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Every human being should read this book, especially if you're in a hard time right now. If you're in a hard time, do yourself a favor, go home, get on Amazon, order this book and read it. It's a pretty quick read. You can read it in a couple days. 
But the book is Viktor Frankl's autobiographical account of surviving multiple concentration camps during Holocaust. And the main argument of Frankl's book is that for every person in this room, you can choose to face hardship with either despair or with hope. But he argues that the men and women who face hardship with hope are the ones who have the best shot at surviving and changing the world. And here's one of my favorite quotes from the book, and it kind of summarizes Frankel's theme. He says this. He goes, we who lived in concentration camps can remember, we remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others and giving away their last piece of bread. And these men may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof. They offer proof that every single thing can be taken from you except for one thing. It's the last of human freedoms. The thing that can never be taken from you is the right to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Frankel says that you can lose everything, and he did, by the way, everything. He said you can lose your job, lose your home, your friends, family, freedom, health, you name it. You can lose everything except there's one thing you can never lose. You can never lose the right to choose hope in the midst of suffering. When you listen to people of real influence, people who actually changed the world, people who have learned the art of suffering beautifully, you hear the stamp of Jesus on everything they say. Like, you can hear Jesus saying through them, in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And through their words and their experiences, you can hear them saying, with Jesus, pain has a point, so don't lose hope. And all of this hits close to home for me. All right, because it's because this idea of enduring hardship with hope and this idea of suffering beautifully, like it's an idea that means a lot to me. Some of us, maybe a lot of us know this part of my story, but I remember first wondering if I had depression back in college. I just felt like deeply sad all of the time. Even though on the surface level, my life looked great. I didn't think it would ever get better. I finally left home. I was a thousand miles away from home. I loved college. I loved the friends that I was making. I met Allie. I was quickly falling in love with her and I would eventually marry her. But it was like, even in the midst of of all these really great things, there was this heavy, dark burden on my shoulders all of the time. If you have depression, you know what I'm talking about. And then just like most of our Gen Zers in the room, I didn't seek any help. I'm just trying to figure it out on my own. People would ask how I'm doing. I'd tell them I'm doing great, but if I'm being honest, I wasn't being honest. You fast forward a little bit, I married Allie and we moved to Colorado and I started following Jesus for real for the very first time and he was changing my life and Allie and I had our very first kid and on the outside looking in, my life just keeps getting better but still the heaviness never left me and still I never told anyone about it and so over time it just got heavier and it got darker and it started to envelop me and it started to consume me. This is why for the Gen Zers in the room, like when we talk about how mental health experts are beginning to call you the hopeless generation, and when we hear about the increase in anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation, like I don't just hear statistics. I don't think of you as a statistic or a problem to solve. That's because I have experienced this with you. I know what it's like to feel hopeless. 
I know what it's like to, to feel like getting out of bed in the morning is a superhuman task. I know that's not laziness. I know it's something deeper and heavier than that. And I know what it's like to take inventory of your life and go like, well, geez, like God's given me a really good family and good friends and a good job and good school or whatever. Like he's given me a good life, but you still feel sad and anxious all the time. I know what that's like. And I know what it's like to have those dark and incredibly scary thoughts run through your head. When you're all alone after an especially hard day, and you start wondering and you start convincing yourself that everybody you love, they might just be better off without you. It's a lie. And there couldn't be anything further from the truth. But I know what it's like to have those thoughts. I have been there. I've lived through that. Things started to change for me when I, I could finally be honest I went to this retreat down in Texas. It was the original version of, of the liminal retreats that you might hear about now that we still offer. And, and through that retreat, I, I got involved in a small group of men my age who were all honest about their own suffering and hardship. And that means I had a place where I could finally be honest about all my suffering and hardship. And I started to discover that people would still love me and they wouldn't leave me and they wouldn't treat me differently if, if I was honest about being really broken and really hurting and honestly just messed up. And then through that, I was finally able to begin inviting Jesus into my suffering and my depression. And that's when things started to change. I began to trust Jesus when he said, in this world, Ben, you're just gonna have trouble, but you can take heart because I've overcome the world. I didn't just trust him, like I was clinging to him for survival. Now, Fast forward from that moment about a decade later to today. And here's the million dollar question. Did my suffering disappear? Did Jesus take away my depression? Listen to me. No. Here's the follow-up question to that. Do I still live a hopeless life? Listen to me. No. Instead, I am learning over time that suffering is the story of Jesus, and so it's going to be a part of my story too. And I am learning that just like Paul said in 2 Corinthians, that, that whenever Jesus chooses not to take away our suffering, he also tells us, hey, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is actually somehow made perfect through your weakness. And I'm learning in the strange, backwards, but beautiful way because most of the stuff in the kingdom of Jesus is strange and backwards, but it's beautiful. I'm learning that Jesus is taking my suffering and he's using it as a gift in my life and in the lives of other people. He's using it as a gift in, in my life. He uses my depression to, to make me more compassionate and empathetic and patient toward other people who are suffering. And, and he uses it to force me to depend on him every single day. And he's teaching me to face my suffering with my shoulders back and my head held high and I can stand tall, not in a spirit of timidity and fear, but in a spirit of, pow spirit of power and love and self-discipline, believing in the promise that with Jesus, my pain has a point. And so I don't have to lose hope. 
And then he also uses my suffering as a gift to others. And there's several ways that he does that. But one of those gifts is that I'm able to stand on the stage right now and speak to the next generation and tell you, I know your pain. I do. I don't, I don't just know it up here. I've experienced it. I'm living through it. And I can tell you, I know your pain, but also I have found hope in the midst of that pain. And I wish I could tell you that with Jesus, it'll all go away. Like, I, I wish I could find the magic trick in the Bible to make our suffering disappear, but it's not real. It doesn't exist. That's not true. And I promise God, to the best of my ability, I would always tell the truth when I'm on this stage. And so for the next generation, especially our Gen Zers, here's the truth. The truth is that the world is telling you that with the right diet and exercise or with enough money or with enough followers online, you can finally achieve a happy, easy, comfortable life. But it's a lie, and it's a destructive lie because it's a lie that is convincing you that something is wrong with you every time life is not easy, comfortable, or happy. It's not the truth. Instead, the truth is what Jesus told us, which is in this world, you will have trouble. You just will. Because real life is really hard. And without Jesus, your pain will continue to be pointless. But with Jesus, your pain has a point. So don't lose hope. That's the truth that you see in the lives of all the men that I just quoted. You see it in Martin Luther King Jr., Desmond Tutu, Victor Frankl, countless other men and women throughout history. It's the truth that you see in the lives of Timothy and Paul. It's the truth that I'm beginning to see in my life. And most importantly, it is the truth displayed in the life of Jesus Christ. It is the truth that pain is never pointless in the kingdom of Jesus. And it's the truth that Jesus brings healing to the world through suffering. Take heart. Don't lose hope. Before we get out of here, let me give you a few ideas for how to take heart in the midst of suffering. All right, the first one is this. You've got to be in community with people your age who are trying to endure hardship with hope. You have to, all right? You, you gotta be involved in our, our student ministries or go jump into our college or young adult communities. Like one of the defining characteristics of our generation is that if we're being honest, we're not being honest, and so we're suffering all alone and we're trying to figure it out all by ourselves. Listen to me, you have got to break that trend. You have to, you have to live in a different way. Get involved in a community of people your age who are trying to endure hardship with hope, people you can be honest with. This is when my life started to change is when I did that. Another idea for you, you should always be in community, everyone should be in community, but sometimes you're gonna need more than that. And so seek professional help through counseling and or medication if needed. There is no shame in that. That doesn't make you weak. I'm on both here and there all the time, so, all right? No shame in that, doesn't make you weak. Talk to your parents about that, or if you're older, talk to your friends and your mentors to try to figure out if you should look into that. And don't let money be an issue. Right, because of the generosity of this church who cares about the next generation, you can go to our website, flatironschurch.com. On the homepage, you're gonna see a big old banner and it's gonna say next generation counseling reimbursement. You can get information about that. We'll, we'll help you pay for that. Don't let money be an issue. And then here's another idea. It's simple. I do this every day. 
Memorize John 16, 33. Super easy to memorize. It's the verse where Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I cannot tell you the number of times I start my day reciting those words from Jesus in my head. And on a really good day, I watch it come to life. Like I watch it, I'm like, hey, look at me go. I'm taking heart, all right? I believe that Jesus has overcome this and like I'm, I'm living in hope. And then on a bad day, I recite those words just to get out of bed and make it through the day and get back in bed. But I don't know where I would be without that hope of Jesus running in my head constantly. And so here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask that, that you stand with me right now. Some of us, we know this is true, all right? We've seen suffering in our lives and, and we know that, that Jesus is with us in the middle of that and he somehow uses it to bless ourselves and others. And so this message is just kind of a reminder uh, of what Jesus has done in our lives and we feel thankful. And then there's some of us, we don't believe it's possible. We're suffering so deeply that we can't even see like, how is it possible to have hope in the midst of this? I have been there. I know what that feels like, but what we're gonna do right now is you're gonna repeat after me and we're gonna repeat this verse and we're gonna personalize it together to get it to sink into our heads. And whether we believe it and we've seen it be true in our lives or, or we don't believe it right now, we're gonna say it like we believe it and try and put our hope in the words of Jesus. So repeat after me. In this world, I will have trouble, but I can take heart Jesus has overcome the world. Come on, one more time like you mean it. In this world, I will have trouble, but I can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Listen to me, especially Gen Z. The world might call you the hopeless generation, and that's because they're seeing suffering through the lens of the world. They're viewing suffering as pointless. I view suffering through the lens of Jesus Christ, and the God that I follow chose to heal and redeem the entire world through suffering. And so I'm telling you, take heart and don't lose hope. Because when people call you the hopeless generation, all I see is potential, all I see is future hope. And the reason for that is because only a generation who truly suffers can truly face a world that is lost and confused and broken and say to it in honesty and with conviction and from experience, look at the world and say to it, take heart. We have found hope in the midst of suffering, follow me. And don't lose hope, take heart. What if Jesus what if Jesus wants to use your generation to teach the rest of us what it looks like to endure hardship with hope? And what if Jesus wants to take your generation and teach the rest of the world that, that Jesus wasn't lying when he said that his grace is sufficient for you and his power in a backwards beautiful way is made perfect through your weakness? And what if Jesus wants to take your suffering Sorry. <laughs> what if he wants to take your suffering and use it to bless you and bless a lot of hurting people around you? He's done that in my life, and so I know for sure, for a fact, he can do it in your life too. Take heart. Don't lose hope.
Let's pray. <clears throat> God, there are, there are two types of people in this room right now. There are those of us who know this to be true. And we only learn the hard way. We only learn by walking through suffering. And we only learn over a lifetime of experience of watching that you walk to every mountaintop with us. And then you hold our hands and you walk down into every single valley with us. And we've seen this with you. And so we take heart because we know that you've overcome the world. And we have these great days where all of our hope and trust is placed in that. And we get to see it come to life and fruit in our lives. And then there's other bad days where we're just trying to remember, just like, please just hold my hand. Please keep walking through me, through this valley with me. And there's those of us who know it's true. And then there's others of us, we do not see how this can be true. And so God, there are no words in a sermon. There is no song beautiful enough to do what only you can do, which is to come into this room and settle down into the hearts of people who are hurting. God, for those of us who feel broken and in pain and hopeless, give them just a taste of your peace and your mercy and your goodness. Give them a taste of how much you've suffered on their behalf just so that you could walk with them hand in hand. Give them a taste of the truth that with you, when we lean on you, no pain is pointless. And you're gonna use that pain to change the lives of people around us and to change our own lives, God. It just, it's so strange and backwards, but it's beautiful. God, we are just one massive room across many different campuses of people who we feel hopeless without you. So God, settle into our hearts. Teach us hope and peace. Give us the bravery and courage that it takes to go be honest with other people or to go seek help. And give us that reminder every single day that you promised in this world we would have trouble, but you promised we can take heart. We don't have to lose hope because you have overcome this world. And right now, the song that we're about to sing is it's all wrapped around this idea that you are our living hope. And so some of us believe that, other, others of us are trying to figure that out, but right now we're gonna sing it like we mean it, and we're gonna sing it like we believe it, and we're gonna place our feet on that solid foundation. Everything else is gonna crumble, but this won't. This one truth that you are our living hope. And so we're gonna sing that together, and we're gonna sing it in the same name of the God that I'm praying in right now, which is Jesus Christ, our living hope. Amen.